Yeah, we're starting a a new series uh, today, Poured Out, um, A Life of Work and Worship. And we're going to be developing a theology of work and worship together. Uh, You may have heard a lot of the, uh, the millennials and the Zoomers are posting on TikTok. Uh, their new thing. It's called quiet quitting. This is a, it's a yeah, quiet quitting. They, the, these kids, they, um, they hate the corporations that they work for. They think they're evil, and they're probably right. Um, but at the same time, they need a paycheck. And so what they've done is they've decided to find ways to, to do as little as possible without getting fired. Um, and in fact, sometimes what they, because they're geniuses, they post about this on the internet. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes what they try to do is, if they can, they come up with ways to sabotage their employers while they're working for them. Um, so if you're, if you're a business owner, you're hiring, Jack, you might want to make sure that somebody's like 40 years old or over, because the, the, the crop that's coming up, they're really bad. But I, I, I wonder, I mean, it, you might ha- have some questions. What kind of view uh, of work do uh, these millennials, these Zoomers have? What kind of view, what do they think it's about? And, and maybe is that different or the same as our own? And really, more importantly, is that different or the same as the view that God has? And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be going through a number of different texts today. They're all on the back of your note sheet if you want to find them. Um, but let's, let's take a look here at the beginning and find out uh, where, where does work come from and why. Uh, these are just a couple of texts. I could have populated this like with 30 or 40 or 50, but here are just a few examples of the fact that God works. God saw that he, all that he had made. It was very good. There was evening, morning, the sixth day. That's how the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Uh, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you've established... That's Psalm 8.3. It, uh, it, this is the, the dawn or the rising of the sun, is changed like clay under a seal. It's like stamping down uh, a, a seal on clay and imprinting it, and it is dyed like a garment. In all of these examples, and there's a lot more, God is portrayed not just as this being that's kind of like just, but as a being who's deeply involved in the work of shaping and creating the universe. In fact, that doesn't stop with uh, the creation. And, and, and not only does it not stop, it continues to this day. God's a sustainer and God's actively involved in shaping and creating and working. And you notice that at the end there, that last one, Job 38, 14, um, this is actually God speaking to Job. And God's saying, uh, what I'm doing is sort of like being a clay worker. It's sort of like being a garment maker, a dyer. That's not the only type of work that God compares himself to. I have uh, some examples here. Uh, God compares himself to a winemaker, a vinter, uh, a grower of vineyards. God compares himself to a composer, um, creating a symphony out of, out of the, the, the universe, something that is, is beautiful even in its dissonance. Uh, God compares himself to a metal worker. Um, when, you, when we say that, refiner's fire, we have that song and there's that bit in the New Testament. What is refining? What is God comparing himself to? A metal worker, somebody who's, who's beating down the metal and making it pure. Uh, God often thinks of um, himself as an architect or an engineer. 
Um, sort of, this is how uh, God speaks about wisdom, right? God's wisdom is, is searching out and it's, and it's angling to make proper, to, to shape uh, the world. And there's, there's a special skill and power involved in that. The, the power that we would think of as an architect or an engineer. One of the things this indicates is that work is not something that is the result of the curse. A lot of people think that, a lot of us, the time we think that work is something evil, it's bad, it was something that, that happened because humans sinned or because the world is broken or, or, or whatever, but that's not the case. Work is something that's deeply built into the fabric of the universe. And if that's the case and God is the first worker, that has implications for how we think about our work. And the first thing is, notice that all of these, uh, I, and we could go on, uh, God compares himself to tent maker, um, uh, shepherd, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, there's just tons. Uh, anybody know any other things God says? I'm sorry? A potter, right? Potter in the clay. Artist. Yeah, artist. I'm sorry? Yes, uh, uh, so a dyer garment. Uh, there's all kinds of things throughout the scriptures. There's even a book, uh, it was written maybe like the 1990s, where this scholar just filled up a 500-page book just of examples of God being a worker. And, and the idea is once you get the whole space and the whole, the whole understanding of that, you recognize that God, it, that there's no type of work that God isn't willing to do, right? And so there's dignity in every type of work. There's no, there's no work out, well, okay. If you're an assassin, that, that's probably wrong. I should, <laughs> there are types of work that are evil. If you are like actively, if your job is to enslave people, that's bad. But if your job is to do anything that creates or brings beauty or serves, that is, there's dignity there. And so I, you know, I, well, so the first, the first thing I know, she's what, God, uh, in the beginning, uh, there was work, and it was good. It's a good thing. Um, we sometimes lose sight of this, and certainly our millennials and Zoomers have, but work's good. It, it, it's, it's something that God has bequeathed to us. And because all type of work is good, there's a question we should ask ourselves. I think this is really a big problem in the United States of America today. There's a divide between those who work with their hands and those who work with their typing. And so I think a question we need to ask ourselves, do we look down on some kinds of work or do we find some types of work too hoity-toity? I live in the middle here because, uh, yes, I've been to graduate school and I I sort of am in that kind of abstract. I don't really produce anything um, except for books uh, and talking. And so there's a lot of people, rightly so, kind of look at me and they're like, "What, what do you do here? Because you're out, you know, fixing pipes and, and unclogging toilets. And I think one of the, the beauty, the beauty of, of, of the church and of humanity as a whole is that God says there are people who are, who are born to fix your air conditioning. Isn't that what you're doing? Yes. Yeah, HVAC. I mean, someone's got to do that, especially this summer, because holy moly. And of course, now the HVAC, you're going to make a, you're gonna make a killing, dude. Like... <laughs> the trades are popping off right now. Like when a plumber comes to my house, they're like, oh, your, your son uh, flushed a plastic camera down the toilet. <laughs> like, yes, he did. That'll be $3,000. <laughs> well, this has implications for us. Not only is every type of work uh, naturally dignified, it has integrity and, and value, 
but it also it tells us something about who we are as people. And so uh, let's, let's take a look at, at this text from Genesis, which, which describes who we are as humanity. Okay? It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Uh, that may be um, the Trinity. It may be let us, Father, Son, and Spirit. It may be an, uh, an idea that like, God has his, his angels and they're like his messengers and powers. But for whatever reason, um, God is in some way plural here. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they what may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild, that's important, animals, over all the creatures that slither. These are creeper, creepy crawlies, uh, spiders and snakes and whatnot. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill up the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This language, uh, it's actually very unpopular today, um, especially amongst uh, in academic theology. They don't like the idea that God has told us to rule or have dominion or to subdue the earth because that, that sounds to us like oppressing the earth, making the earth bad, hurting the earth. Um, the reason that they think this is that they've never actually been in the wilderness. Because once you go to the wilderness, you realize that most of the time it's trying to kill you. And it's not that it's bad. It's a good thing. It's beautiful. It's wild. But it's also dangerous. It's fraught. And, and what happened was when God was creating, God created all this universe, and it was good, but it wasn't finished. It was good, but there was more to do. See, the animals, they're wild. They need to be tamed. The, the, there's too much growth here. I got a picture. Uh, this is, this is, we're in San Juan Capistrano. This is San Juan Capistrano 102 years ago, 1920. That's 1920, 100 years ago. Now, it's cool to see the mission because it's been around for hundreds of years, but what's most important about this picture is that San Juan Capistrano, one century ago, was a desolate wasteland. I mean, there's nothing there. If you look, look beyond the mission, and it's the same thing if you put the camera the other way, there's nothing. There were like a few farms here and there, but it was basically untouched wilderness. What does San Juan Capistrano look like today? The question you have to ask yourself is, how did that happen? Hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people worked. Sometimes in concert, sometimes alone, but they worked. And they took a desert, they took a wasteland, and created something absolutely beautiful, a paradise. San Juan Capistrano is like, I mean, really all of South Orange County is like the number one place in the world. People come from all over the world to visit what we have. I know Jonathan has a dream He's, uh, he's a city planner at, uh, in Laguna Niguel, is that right? And uh, the old, um, you know that, that weird building, what's that called? The, the ziggurat, right. Because of the 70s, what were they doing? I don't know. That was bad work. That was like being an assassin. If you designed the ziggurat, you did a bad job. The ziggurat, the feds are, are leaving, 
and uh, there's a possibility, like, like, what are we going to do with that land? And there's someone out there, there's Jonathan, who's, who's thinking, what can we do with that? What possibilities do we have? What could we create? What could we make to make this world more beautiful, more powerful, more exciting? What could we do? Well, whatever it is, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, you may have noticed we're under construction. This is not how we normally look. So uh, if you're new or visiting, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a uh, sanctuary renovation. Notice uh, the, the fresh paint here. Uh, it's, it's a lot brighter. You can see the, the contrast here with the, uh, the beige. Um, we've got the, uh, the, there's little details of like gray paint. And so um, I asked somebody who wishes not to be named Bill Koblenz uh, to, leave, <laughs> to leave this here as a reminder that what is happening right now is going to be beautiful and it's going to be amazing. Uh, we're doing flooring in the next couple of days. That this we're transforming this place. It's going to be incredible. But why? Work. We were literally made to work. It's the next thing here. No cheese. And that's kind of a bummer. Because I hate working. <laughs> and maybe some of you do too. And, and today, we're, we're not going to talk too much about that, but I, I, I want to assure you, if you're one of those, uh, go ahead, uh, let's ask this question, do you hate work, right? Um, that's the next slide, I think. Do, you, do we hate our work? Um, I mean, yeah, like, it's just, it, we're going to deal with that more in, in, the, in the coming weeks. But I want to say this right now. If you are the sort of person who you go to jo- your job is just a thing, it's just to, you just have to do it to make the money, to get the health insurance. To, I understand that. That's, that's real. That's, that's, not everybody gets to like go out and you know, pursue their dream. And where they say, if you, do, if you find a way to get paid for what you love, you'll never work a day of your life. First off, that's a lie. And, and second, most of human history, people haven't been able to do that. Uh, Haley. Haley hates school. Um... <laughs> But um, she's got to do it because I think it's I think it's illegal to not go to school. I think that's the thing. It, yeah, it's a problem too because it's taking away our children's right to work. And I I mean, how, doesn't doesn't that isn't, isn't this the land of the free, the home of the brave? Why are the fifth graders not allowed to go to the mines anymore? <laughs> Haley hates work, but she loves art. Um, I was hanging out with uh, her grandpa Gary a couple days ago, and he, uh, they want to do some like landscaping, and he asked her to like just do a sketch, um, and she did, and it's amazing. Haley, I know that you have to go to school, and that sucks, but there's part of your life, there's, there's work that you can do that's going to bring you joy. It's going to bring creativity and life and thriving, and maybe that's your art. Maybe that's what that is. And so pursue that. Lean into that. And, and for all of us, if you, you know, you're clocking the nine to five, find the thing in your life uh, that, where you get to contribute, where you get to make the world beautiful. Uh, n- another question. <laughs> Do we assume that, our, that work is our spouse, our parent, or our children's job and not our own? Um, for uh, a long time, Aaron supported me uh, in my academic <laughs> dreams and I admit, at a certain point, I, I was kind of like, well, she's the breadwinner, you know, and it's my job to read books. But the thing is, and, and to some extent that's true, but that is work. 
Okay? Uh, if, you're, if you're a stay-at-home uh, husband or wife, um, you need to conceive of what you're doing as work. This is God's calling on your life. Okay? Raising children, you know, doing the family stuff. If you are, uh, if you both work, um, and you also have, you know, you're raising your dog children or your regular children, that's all work. And if you're retired, Mike, <laughs> that doesn't mean you get to not work, bro. And that's you, because Doug and Jen, they don't want to raise their kids, so, so Mike and Sue do it for them. That is awesome. Just remember, that's work, okay? And that's, that is your calling. That's real. And that is part of what you're doing to bring life to the world, to bring uh, new creativity, new growth. That's a good thing. But why? Why has work been built into our universe? That's an interesting question, and I don't know that I have... Uh, the fullest answer to it. But I do think that Scripture provides um, at least a a direction or an aim, um, a a, a beginning to answering that question. So let's let's take a look um, at Ecclesiastes. This is uh, Solomon, although he calls himself Koaleth, the teacher in Hebrew. And he's describing his life. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks planted all kinds of fruit trees, made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought slaves uh, and had other slaves in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, and and, and I uh, I, I refused my heart no pleasure. Listen to this, though. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. If ever you've undertaken a major project, if ever you've decided, I'm going to go do this, and it's going to be hard, but I want to see it through, there's something incredibly satisfying about seeing a job well done. And again, not all of us um, are able to do this in our nine to five, but there is an undeniable power an undeniable joy, a delight that we have when we do the work and then we see the result. It's, uh, it's September 11th today, 21 years ago. Um, the uh, attack on the Twin Towers took place. Um, and uh, when Mike and I were working on uh, this series and the sermon, he uh, found a story about a worker um, who was given a really tough job. Can we take a look? We are remembering September 11th, 2001. That day, fighter pilots took off on a mission to stop the attacks as they were unfolding. If they were successful, they would probably not survive. It's a story that is still coming to light some 16 years later, and our Pete Montine has it for us tonight. It was a more innocent time, Leslie. There were fighter jets near Washington that day, but they were on the ground. No missiles, no bullets. The only option was a suicide mission. I just spoke to one of the pilots who suited up. She rarely tells her story, 
but wants you to hear it today, of all days, to be inspired. It was a standing ovation at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, but the honoree here insists she's hardly a hero for her mission on September 11, 2001. I didn't choose to be there on 9-11. I just happened to go to work that day. Heather Penny was a fighter pilot in the D.C. Air National Guard. That Tuesday morning, her squadron mates were away on a training mission. Heather stayed behind at Andrews Air Force Base. To think that I would be placed in a position to be what essentially is a kamikaze pilot, no, that had never crossed my mind. The attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were relayed to Heather and her commanding officer. But there was another hijacked flight aimed at the Capitol. What I was training for uh, was just a general contingency, right, um, where we would have missiles, we would have guns, we would have bombs. But that didn't happen. No, not at all. And we didn't have time. Arming her F-16 would have taken an hour, so Heather and her flight leader took off anyway. They agreed to ram into United Flight 93. Heather would aim for the tail. And so if I gave my life, that would be the purpose of my life. The passengers of Flight 93 took down the plane first. Heather says they are the real heroes. She just wants to be a harbinger of hope. I think it's something that deep down inside of us is really just about being Americans and being humans, that transcends any profession, that transcends any oath, but to help out our fellows. Heather spent months after the attacks protecting the skies over Washington. Her dad spoke alongside her at the Air and Space Museum. John Penny is a fighter pilot himself. Heather now has two girls. He says they're just now understanding the meaning of this day. Pete Muntean, WUSA 9. We're glad. I was just getting up to go to work. It's crazy. We, um, we get up, we do our thing day after day. Um, and we never, for a lot of time, a lot of time, it's just, we're just not present to what we're doing. You know, we're just, making a paycheck, we're doing this, we're doing that. You don't know what your work is accomplishing. You don't know down the line, you know, you're an engineer and you're doing software engineering. You don't know how that's going to impact somebody uh, that you'll never meet, you'll never know. But you can take pride. You can take satisfaction knowing that when you dedicate your work to God, God is going to bless that and he's going to make something beautiful out of it. And you can be satisfied. You can have joy in that. So the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to slaves, um, he, he says this. These are people who are at the very bottom of the social uh, status ladder. These are the people who have the hardest, worst jobs. And he says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord, not your human masters. You know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Jesus, the Messiah, you are serving. Part of that reward we see here in the here and now. We, we undertake a project. We see it to completion. It's joy. It's joyful. But part of that reward is something that we're heaping up in heaven. 
It's, it's something that's coming to us, not in this life, but in the next. And if we start investing now with our work, we can expect to receive something glorious that those who don't won't. And moreover, the purpose of work doesn't come to, the only thing I, I, I don't like about that, I, I wish that at one point she would have said, I was doing it for the Lord. <laughs> um, and I don't know if she was or wasn't, but, but man, can you imagine? Can you imagine being that person tasked with that task and saying, if this is what you have for me, God, then like, that's the last thing in your note sheets. Work won't work unless it is poured out as an act of worship. It won't work. It won't come to its purpose. It won't fulfill its purpose if we don't pour out in worship. So just the last uh, couple of questions. Why do you do it? On my best days, I do this because God's called me to it, and I love you, and I want to see us grow as a family and transform and be transformed together. But a lot of times, and I think we as, as, as a people have to recommit to the purpose of work, to recognizing what work is supposed to do. And we as a people have to get out there and whether, you know, we're being chiropractors uh, or rugby players, we have to do it for Jesus. And when we do, I think we're going to be able to, to walk away and say, even though this was rough, even though this was hard, even though this was painful, it was good. I, uh, I, I, I got to be honest with you, I actually took away the last verse of that passage in Ecclesiastes. So the whole bit about, you know, I made these gardens and these vineyards and I saw the, the wonderful advantages of my work and it brought me delight and joy. I, there's another part I left out. I, wanna, I want you to take a look at it really quick. Remember, I, I, my heart took delight in all my labor. This was the reward for all my toil. And yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The word meaningless there in Hebrew is hevel. Hevel. It often can uh, mean an idol. It can mean, um, it can mean uh, breath. Something that's here and then it's gone. Whatever you're working to build, there's going to come a day when it's gone. Except for this stage, by the way. Uh, it's, it's so well built that even during the nuclear apocalypse, everything else will be wiped away. So uh, my plan is to hide under here when the bombs begin dropping. But everything else is going away. So what are we going to do with that? Come back next, next week and find out. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, give us work that is meaningful. Give us perspective on work. Give us gratitude for work, for the power to 
to engage with projects, to know that we're just being like you when we bring beauty and creativity and life to the world, when we, when we tame its wild edges and when we make it new and fresh. God, let all of us find the place where our work is meant to be. Whether it's art or whether it's design, whether it's computer programming, or just lifting and digging and, and fixing. Let us have dignity and joy as we do it. And may we find a way to do it for you and not just the paycheck, not just um, for provision, but as a recognition that we're being like you and we're worshiping you. Give us strength to work. In Jesus' name we pray.